Lord Jesus Christ, you do all things well, both then and now and forevermore. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so a couple of us in our family recently watched, uh, re-watched the movie Arrival. It came out a couple of years ago. How many of you have seen the movie Arrival? Are you sure? All right, like three of you. Great. Four. Okay. <laughs> oh, and Tegan has seen it too. That, I'm a little nervous. It's not a G-rated movie. We'll just say that. Uh, so this, this movie tells the story of these 12 massive spaceships that come and land in various places around the planet. And they, they never come out of the spaceships. Instead, they invite the humans to come into the spaceships, and they try to communicate with one another. Well, the story uh, continues, and the main character, her name is Louise, she is a professor of language, and she's invited by the government to come and figure out the alien's language. It's unlike anything that's ever been spoken on planet Earth. And as Louise learns the language, weird things start to happen in her life. The world around her starts to look very, very different And she begins to have these really bizarre, sort of dreamlike visions over and over again. So it's obvious to Louise and those around her that the language that she's learning is changing her. It's having a profound effect upon her. At one point, one of her colleagues kind of sees that she's disturbed and leans over to her and says, are are you okay? Are you doing all right? Have Have you started to dream in the alien's language? It's clear that she's not doing all right. Well, a major theme of this movie is that learning a language changes you. Learning a language changes you. Now, you're not just, when you learn a language, you don't just learn the vocabulary of it. You don't just learn the grammar and the syntax of the language. As you learn a new language, you're sort of learning new patterns of thinking. You're starting to put yourselves in, yourself in the shoes of those who speak that language, You could even say that learning a language is like learning a culture. And some of you may have experienced this as you've learned or studied other languages, especially if it's super different from English, like Chinese or Russian or ancient Hebrew. You know that when you learn these languages, it starts to shape the way in which you think, the way in which you look at the world. And then if you visit those cultures, you see, you observe how that language manifests itself in the values and the behaviors of that culture. So my point is this, language and culture go together. And maybe you can see where I'm going with this. How you speak impacts how you relate to others. Language and culture, thought and behavior or as the Apostle James puts it, word and deed. These things go together. So we just finished preaching through a series from Ephesians. Uh, We we looked at our Sunday lectionary readings, that is our our schedule of uh, scripture readings uh, that's given to us. And we just finished preaching through Ephesians in which Paul describes to us what a Christ-centered culture looks like. And I wanna continue with that theme of of a Christ-centered culture. But instead of the Apostle Paul, we're now going to be walking with the Apostle James as he addresses this as well, because he is a pastor writing to his people, concerned about the ways in which they treat one another and behave with one another, the ways in which they interact with the community around themselves. And for James, language matters. 
language is something that's worthy to be discussed. The Word of God is central to a vibrant, Christ-centered community. So I'm going to be moving us through our passage from James in three movements. Uh, So please do open your bulletins or your Bibles, if you have those with you, uh, to James chapter 1, verse 17. There, James writes this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. So James is continuing the tradition of Jesus, which is to call God our Father. Now, you might have an earthly father who, like in the stars in the sky, kind of wanders in and out of your life. He's not a reliable presence. Or perhaps you have an earthly father who, like the moon, the brightness of his affection waxes and wanes with the seasons of the year. His love might grow and fade. What James is telling us here is that that is not true of the father of lights. He is a good father who is always present, even in times of danger. He is reliable. He is dependable. He is stable. And his love for you never fades. It never waxes or wanes. And he is the giver of good gifts. And one of his supreme gifts is the word of truth is what we read about, the word of truth. Now, that's kind of a curious phrase, word of truth. Now, certainly when James says that, he is speaking of the Bible, of the Holy Scriptures. Yes, this is the word of truth. But there's some certain other things, especially in that first paragraph, that that make us want to look a little bit more into what he means by that phrase, the word of truth. Now, certainly, like I said, he is referring to the Bible from creation to the cross, From Jesus' resurrection to Jesus' death, from his ascension into heaven and onward, we see that God is pouring out his new life to humanity. He's making himself known to us, and the scriptures illuminate that to us and tell us the story of God's new life. But like I said, there's some other things that we might glean from that particular phrase, word of truth, in this passage. With the talk of father of lights and shifting shadows in this passage— and being called forth. The ancient Jews would have heard those phrases like that and been thinking about Genesis chapter 1, when God, by his word, speaks into existence light out of darkness, order out of chaos, life from coldness. But also we hear it's the word of truth, In the New Testament, the truth is the good news that Jesus Christ is restoring all of creation back into himself. It's the truth of the good news. It's the truth of the gospel that God forgives our sins through his atonement at the cross. As one scholar says, the word of truth is that life-giving agent used by the Father to impart new life and bring about new birth. So my first point is simple. Our God... Our Father in heaven has revealed his word to us. He didn't leave us alone in the shadows to sort of sulk in the darkness and be further corrupted by our own um, ineptitude. No, he spoke to us. He gives us the word. And we are privileged in that we, like, uh, like learning a new language, we get to study his phrases, his plans, his values, what he loves. We get to learn from this. But there's a second point. James also calls us to be doers of the word. Is there anything that's more despised in our world than a Christian who doesn't act according to Christ? 
Like that is repulsive to the world. And it's also repulsive to the Apostle James himself. He says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So the word isn't simply a textbook in which we study and memorize and and analyze. No, the word is something which takes root in us. It becomes, we embody it. It We enact it in our daily lives with one another. And James gives us the simple example of speech, of talking. So the word of God comes to us and it impacts our word to one another. Put away all filthiness, James says in verse 21, and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, the implanted word. Now, in the entire New Testament, that word implanted only appears here in James. And so scholars look to other Greek, langu- or other Greek literature in the ancient world to kind of see, like, what, what's the context of this word implanted? And it's kind of interesting. It means it, it's to describe something that is received naturally, just sort of um, something is implanted upon you. It's not something that you go out and learn. It's not something that you bring about um, through your own discovery or knowledge or your own achievement. No, the idea is it is implanted upon you. So brothers and sisters, your souls are like a garden. And the Lord is like a gardener who implants his, the seed of his word upon you. His life-giving, beautiful, fruit-producing word And he wants to remove from the garden of your soul those things which hold you back from becoming a full garden of beauty. He wants to remove the filthy trash that is in our gardens. He wants to remove the rampant stones of of wickedness that might cause you to, to stumble or might stunt the growth of a certain plant in the garden of your soul. He wants there to be good fruit. So I realize this is sort of mixing metaphors, right, of garden and word, but I feel like I've got permission to do that because that's what James is doing here. The word is implanted, and may it bring about beautiful fruit in your lives. So may you be immersed in the stories and the goodness of the word of God. And as you do so, your thoughts become his thoughts. You come to love the things that he loves. And you begin to see that your behavior, the culture around you, starts to change as you link your arms with other brothers and sisters as we immerse ourselves in the Word of God together. So my question for you is, what language are you immersing yourself in these days? What's the language that you immerse yourselves in? And I don't mean English or Chinese or Portuguese or Latin or whatever. No, there are several languages that are taking place within our society right now. There's various systems in our society that that shape your words, that try to control your language. I think one of the clearest examples of this is social media, right? Where there's literally constraints on how much you can say or the kinds of words that you can use or can't use, right? It's a mode of communication which shapes our language. Therefore, it shapes the way in which we communicate with one another. And so social media can shape the way sometimes you feel or interact with other people. And then that manifests itself through our our feelings and our attitudes and our behaviors to one another. Have you ever noticed that the more time you spend on something like Twitter, the more anxious and angry you feel? Or the more time you spend on Instagram, the more concerned you are with your own image and status and how other people perceive you? Or the more time you spend on Facebook, the more argumentative you get and maybe the more opinionated you get about trivial things. It's because these platforms are shaping our language. They are language-shaping platforms. 
And the road that these things lead you to is things that James talks about, anger, filthiness, wretchedness. He talks about that. And yet so often we spend so much of our time, so much of our schedules on these things that lead to death. But God's word, God's promises are grace and life and hope and healing and goodness and truth and beauty. God's word is life. And so that's why he pleads with us, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. So going back to the movie Arrival, I don't think I told you exactly what happens to Louise as she's studying this language. But what you learn sort of partway through the movie, what you realize is that the aliens, they, they're able to glimpse into the future. They're able to see the future. It's a sci-fi movie, of course, right? So cool, you know, crazy things like that happen. So as Louise, as she begins to learn the, ang- the language of the aliens, she also begins to experience time in the same way in which they do. And so it turns out that these bizarre visions that she's been experiencing are actually visions of a future. And even though this isn't her current experience, she looks into the future and she sees that she has a husband and a child. And she sees events in her future that are both happy and sad. So as she becomes an expert in the language, she also becomes an expert in the future. Well, God's word is living God's word is mysterious, and God's word peers into the future. Now, we'll come back to James, but I want to take a little detour through our other scripture readings that we saw this morning, Isaiah and then Mark. So, we read in the book of Isaiah that the prophet recounts, or if if we were to look through the entire book of Isaiah, we'd see that the darkness and the tragedy and the brokenness of our world and the sin that we battle within us comes up again and again and again throughout his book. But he also gives us a vision for the future. And he describes in the passage that we read this morning in that Isaiah reading that God will come down and save his people. In verse 5, he says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped, the lame man shall leap like the deer, And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. In the desert will come streams of living water. God's God's word tells us that there is a day coming in which all human suffering will be eradicated and the wounds of our earth will be healed. But then later in the Bible, if we were to keep flipping and keep flipping, something amazing happens. A man named Jesus appears in ancient Israel, in Nazareth, And he starts doing the things that Isaiah prophesied. In fact, the first thing that Jesus says in Mark's gospel is the time is is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he starts doing amazing things. In today's passage, we see one of those unfold. They bring to Jesus a deaf man. He places his hands on him. He sticks his fingers in his ear. And all of a sudden, the man is healed. His tongue is loosened. And the people cry out, he does all things well, is what they say. The curse of sin and darkness is being undone by Jesus wherever he walks, wherever he goes. And so if you want to see the word of God most clearly, most beautifully, most perfectly, look to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he is the word clothed in flesh. We see him bringing about that future recreation, right? He is giving us a preview of the realities that Isaiah foretold. 
Jesus gives us a preview of the realities that every single one of our human hearts is longing for. And we know within us this, that this world is not how it should be. And Jesus steps in the world and demonstrates to us the goodness of what he intends all creation to look like. Now let's go back to James. There in verse 18, in God's word, it tells us that we are brought forth by God's word and that we also are first fruits of his creation. First fruits of his creation. In other words, that future day that Jesus inaugurated and will eventually come to fruition, come to completion at his second coming, we also get to partake in that. We also are first fruits of this gospel, of this good news that the kingdom of God is here and now. And the way we do this is we allow the word of God to take root in our lives and we become not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Like a character in a sci-fi movie, we immerse ourselves in the word of God and we start to participate in and enjoy those future realities that God's word tells us about. He is the father of lights. God's word transforms our lives, but also points to this future reality in which we see hope and healing of all humanity, of all things. So then what are we supposed to do? What does this look like when we walk out these doors and we go into our workplaces and we bump shoulders with other people who maybe don't necessarily believe these things? Well, James is very helpful, helpful with this. At the end of this passage from James in verse 27, he says, visit orphans and widows in their pain, in their affliction, in their suffering, visit orphans and widows. Does that sound sort of deflating? Does it sound discouraging? It is one of the most beautiful, honoring, amazing things that we get to partake in is we get to do the things that Jesus did. So we get to go to orphans, to those who've lost parents, or maybe let's stretch that definition a little bit. Let's just say visiting people who have, who have lost um, any hope in, in authority or have um, been broken or don't have a father and mother in their lives or are sort of like wandering stars in this world, rudderless, not knowing what's going on or who to turn to or who to trust. God is asking you to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother in their life. Or to go and visit widows, those who've lost all support in this world, who don't have resources to fend for themselves and are hoping that someone will come along their life to provide stable assurance and provision to them. Maybe not a literal widow, but maybe someone who fits in that category. And God is calling you to be consistent, a consistent presence to them. Because friends, you are children of the father of lights. You're children of the father of dependability, the Father of protection, the Father who provides for us, the Father who loves us. And so we get to participate in the Father's love. And how do I know this to be true? Because this is my story. This is how I came to know the Lord God, how I came to know Jesus Christ. A lot of you know that I lost my father when I was a little kid, quite tragically. My mom, she remarried, and she remarried an amazing man, but I was just in a season of my life where I, I, I rejected his affection and I was a troubled kid for a while, sort of like, an, uh, I felt like an orphan, you could say, just wandering this world, looking for something to, to root myself into, to secure myself to, looking for hope, looking for true um, signs of, of love and healing. 
And then God brought me to a community that James describes, a people who certainly aren't perfect, but they were rooting themselves in the good news of God's word. They were rooting themselves uh, to one another, and they became spiritual mothers and fathers to me. They invited me to be a part of their community. I learned about the, the story of salvation and how I could be a part of that, how the Lord would heal me. He would forgive me of my sins and, and bring me closer into his fellowship with him and with one another. And so what about you? Like, is that, Does that describe you? Are you wandering through this world, wondering what in the world to secure yourself to, what sort of community to belong to, what sort of hope to find in this troubled, dark world? What, what sort of systems of anger have you immersed yourself with? Well, my prayer is that here at Restoration, we would be a place of healing and hope, that we would be a community that is rooted in the illuminating warmth of the Father of lights, the one who has come and, and dwelt among us, who atoned for our sin, who defeated death, and has inaugurated a new kingdom that we get to enjoy and experience now. And as we remind ourselves every single Sunday, he will come again someday. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes, and we will enjoy the, the fruit of his, of his kingdom and this uh, new creation forever and ever. So may those who are lonely and without hope come to enjoy this beautiful community transformed by the word of truth. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, this is a broken and angry and troubled world, Lord. But thank you for coming and dwelling among us. You have revealed yourself to us through uh, the scriptures, through our fellowship with one another, but more, most supremely through the word of your scriptures. So Lord, may we take those to heart. May we immerse ourselves in the word. May we allow you to implant your word day by day within our hearts that we might bear your fruit and be a community of, of beauty and goodness and forgiveness. We ask all of this, Jesus Christ, in your holy name. Amen.